0: I clearly remember the very first night I was in a community of men. I had never told my story to anyone before. What they all did was they went around the circle and they told a one-minute version of their story. And after I'd heard over 20 stories uh, that were similar to mine, my story seemed less unique. And already I felt a sense of relief that I wasn't alone in some of the crazy stuff that I was doing. You know, I was finally asked to uh, tell my own story, which I did. And I, and strangely enough, you know, as people got to know me, they all uh, smiled, they all nodded, and at at the end of the recitation of this horrendous story of sexual sin, they applauded. They weren't applauding the sin; they were applauding the fact that I was honest enough to be able to tell the story. And being in a group of people like that that uh, share in our common struggles. It it is incredibly shame reducing to know that we're not alone. And to know that we can be honest about who we are. Remember the core beliefs, if you knew me you'd hate me and leave me. So, you know, if, if other people do know us in community and they don't hate us, in fact they love us, they don't leave us, in fact they stay with us, <clears throat> that is one of the major antidotes to shame.
1: Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Today, we have another legacy podcast featuring Dr. Mark Laser. Uh, Mark will be talking about the shame and guilt that is associated with anyone struggling with sexual addiction. Uh, Mark will also talk about the importance of community as an important element of your recovery. So here now for you is Dr. Mark Laser and the Faithful and True Podcast
0: let's get right into it. Uh, in our field, the field of uh, sexual sin, sexual infidelity, sexual addiction, uh, as we've said so many times on the show, I think the founder of our field is uh, a man by the name of uh, Patrick Kearns, Dr. Patrick Kearns. He wrote the very first book about sexual addiction uh, called Out of the Shadows. Uh, that was released for the first time in 1981. And in that book... Uh, he talked about the sexual addiction cycle. And uh, I know we've talked about that on the show at uh, various points, so I'm not going to go back over that today. But the uh, reason I bring it up is that uh, the way the whole sexual addiction cycle gets started uh, is with the feeling of shame. What Carnes uh, has a, a brilliant ability to do is break larger concepts down into smaller parts. Uh, Shame is, you know, a word that's as old as uh, recorded history. It certainly appears throughout the the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. Um, What Pat did, particularly in relationship to uh, sexual addiction, was say that there were four core beliefs that a sex addict uh, struggles with. And um, I'll just... Tell the listeners what those four are, uh, and then we want to talk about uh, that a little bit in terms of where they may come from, and then obviously what we might do about it. The first core belief is the uh, basic one, and that is, I am a bad and worthless person. It's that sense of uh, being made and not a wonderfully and beautiful way as you know this as uh, the Bible talks about you know we are fearfully and wonderfully made according to the Bible but a sex addict tells himself or herself that you know I am I am a bad and worthless person um, the second core belief is uh, uh, if you really knew me you would not like me uh, you would leave me uh, the third core belief is, Uh, no one will take care of me, no one will do nice things for me, Uh, I'm going to need to do nice things for myself. No one takes care of me but me is basically the simplified version of that, number three. And number four, in the field of sexual sin and infidelity and addiction, the fourth core belief related to the first three is the way that I take care of myself is my most important need, and that is that sex is my most important need Uh, sometimes stated sex is equal to
1: love. And those four core beliefs, uh, it almost seems like it's a progression. It starts with the first core belief, which leads to the second. That second leads to the third, and then ultimately to the fourth.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and basically what what the fourth means in relationship to the first three is that uh, I have learned somewhere along the way that uh, sex is... The way that I medicate that shame, but let's talk uh, for uh, just a little bit about you know where some of these core beliefs might come from. And uh, I think the listeners have heard me talk or write about before that uh, here at Faithful and True, uh, we're not uh, big believers in you know blaming families for you know, the reason we are the way we are. I mean, we're all about personal responsibility for sinful decisions that uh, we make. So as I even get into this, I I want to make sure that the listeners understand that at no time are we saying that, you know, you have to be rip-roaring angry at parents or other family members or, you know, other elements uh, of your upbringing. But we are really desperately in need, all of us, of understanding where did we start? Some of this negative self-talk, this uh, feeling about ourselves that is that is totally uh, incorrect, out of line with uh, certainly biblical teaching. Uh, we want to get back to that a little bit toward the end of the show. Uh, where did some of these core beliefs come from? Where did they start? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, even as we're talking. Uh, Today, I'm just going to ask the listeners that, you know, as I'm mentioning a few things, uh, allow yourself to uh, just think about this for yourself. Any memories that come to you from your past, uh, value those as being perhaps even messages from God or messages from your soul about important life events uh, that you may need to uh, experience some healing around. Okay? So, um, one of the things that uh, Karn started talking about early on is that a great deal of sex addicts uh, were invasively abused as children. In other words, they experienced some form of sexual abuse. Uh, They may have experienced some form of uh, physical abuse. Uh, Certainly, a lot of them, a high percentage of them experienced some form of emotional abuse uh, growing up. And Uh, One of the principles that I've always taught is that if whoever it was that was invading you uh, was a person that professed to be uh, a believer, a Christian, uh, a person of faith, then that abuse automatically becomes a form of spiritual abuse. Uh, uh, One of our team here was uh, sexually abused by his youth pastor when he was uh, in high school, actually. And... uh, uh, for that sexual abuse to take place, that automatically becomes spiritual abuse because it was the youth at the hands of the youth pastor. Right. Uh, so not only did you know the sexual abuse in that case, and you know uh, millions of other cases, you know, uh, cause you know this person to start thinking, you know, gee, uh, you know, what is it about me? You know, that led to you know, that invasion. Uh, was I asking for it? Uh, was I inviting it? Uh, uh, what was going on with me that uh, this occurred? And uh, even in those questions that are inside the mind, you start forming a core belief that there must be something wrong with me. When And remember, core belief number one is, you know, I'm a bad and worthless person. Um, I myself experienced some sexual abuse early on and even though I was uh, too young to have many intellectual categories in my brain, uh, I know that the uh, effect of that abuse was to start wondering, you know, what's wrong with me? Another thing that happened as a result of that for me is that, you know, I started having all kinds of sexual thoughts as a very young boy, and no one was talking about sex uh, back in those days, uh, and hardly at all now even. So, I was pretty much left to myself with those thoughts. And I remember early on thinking, someone who has these kinds of thoughts, you know, there must be something wrong with them. Uh, So, even, you know, the attractions, the uh, infatuations, the preoccupations that I had with stuff, it kind of all led to that question in my brain, you know, what is wrong with me? Uh, Now, the other form of. uh, Kind of woundedness that could happen when we're growing up uh, is uh, that we're not getting the love, nurture, and attention that we need. Uh, people are not uh, affirming us; they're not uh, giving us blessing; they're not giving us safety. Some of the things that Debbie and I talk about in our book, "The Seven Desires of the Heart," and you know, when those things are not happening, uh, we're left pretty lonely. Uh, we're left. We're left thinking also at that point, "Gee, if I was a worthwhile person." these uh, other people in our life would uh, would uh, do the nice things for us that we're not otherwise getting. We we call this form of uh, woundedness uh, abandonment or neglect, and we know that in our field, it's one of the major, if not the most uh, important contributor to that feeling that uh, I'm not a good person. If I were a good person, I'd be getting these things. Uh, and then if you remember the the second and third it's like if you knew me, you wouldn't like me and leave me. So, you know, these people are people that have experienced abandonment. So they, you know, don't have a lot of people in their life. And then they don't have people taking care of their basic primary needs in a healthy way. So they're left to wonder, you know, well, you know, if I'm going to get my needs met, I have to do it
1: myself. It sounds like the very negative self uh, self self-worth snowball rolling down the mountain. It just continues to get more and more intense as it rolls.
0: That's right, and, and strangely enough, uh, because of our own behavior, we we tend to confirm it. You know, we tend to hang around people or act in such a way with such an energy that uh, you know people are taking advantage of us. People are not giving us what we need. So it does become a self fulfilling kind of core belief, and uh, that's one thing I'd ask the listeners to think about. In some ways, you know, how have you sabotaged uh, the very things that you need? Uh, because of these core beliefs that you're not worth anything or uh, no one is going to take care of you except yourself. So you've acted like a loner. You've acted independent, those kinds of things. Well, you know, one of the things that could be a segue here is that uh, the fact that so many of the listeners, so many of the men, uh, perhaps some women who are listening to this, uh, if they do have the core belief that they are a bad and worthless person, the fact that they're out there in culture, and uh, can't even go to the mall, can't go to the beach, can't go to the pool, can't go to the uh, video store, or whatever it is, without getting triggered, that tends to reinforce the core belief that I'm a bad and worthless person, and that's part of the vicious cycle that we get into uh, when we get into uh, an addiction. Before we get to, uh, you know, a very brief uh, talk about, you know, what we can do about this. Uh, I just want to make sure the listeners understand, earlier on, I gave some fairly serious examples of what leads to shame, and that was sexual abuse. Um, In no way was I saying that if you're struggling with sexual problems, do you have to be a sexual abuse survivor. That's not inherently true. I I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, it could be a matter of physical abuse. We had a young man last night in a group. His mother used to slap him all the time uh, That's physical abuse, and it also gave him messages about angry women. So when you think about sex addiction coming out of that, you know you could say that in 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 many ways, what this young man is looking for is kind women and you know most of the time in a lot of a lot of pornography or whatever else uh, you know we're talking about uh we're looking for kind women you know if we grew up with angry women who were even physically abusive in this case you know does it make some sense why even even through uh pornographic pursuits you know we're looking for uh kindness and nurturing and uh giving and acceptance uh, acceptance being chosen being wanted you know those kinds of things the other thing i wanted to say real quickly is that uh it's 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 way too obvious to talk about mom and dad but you know how many of, of us uh, had extended families, uncles, aunts, cousins, uh, grandparents, uh, relatives of some sort that that may have been angry or mean or cruel or avoidant or whatever they were I mean so you know you have to expand your life experience. Uh, I like to think about it also in terms of. So many of the lessons that I learned about myself, uh, I learned at school. And I'm not talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic here. I'm talking about social messages that I learned growing up in terms of being tall or overweight or uh, just not thinking that I was attractive, getting teased at school. Uh, I unfortunately had a couple of teachers who, you know, weren't very kind. I've had coaches who yelled and screamed along the way. I've had friends who, you know, would do some merciless, uh, teaching along the way. Um, there's so many elements of culture that can lead to this core belief that I'm, you know, I'm a bad and worthless person. No one likes me as I am. No one will take care of me, but me. And there's so much about culture, like the trigger of the week, that is teaching us that uh, sex is our most important need. Sex is the way to get those things that we feel like we missed. One of the other main things here to think about is that this is not always a matter of abandonment. This is a matter of sometimes massive amounts of neglect. I didn't get the things that I, that I needed. Now, when we come to you know what do we do about this, um, one of the helpful things that I learned early on is that uh, there's a distinction in shame uh, uh The Bible talks about healthy shame, basically meaning uh, that the bible uh, sense of shame is that you know we all need an awareness that we are imperfect uh, since the fall uh, we we don't get it right uh, and uh, that that feeling that uh, we are powerless, that uh, we uh, can't always do for ourselves the things that that we need really should point us to the fact that we all need a relationship with God. Healthy shame is that sense of powerlessness and knowing that I need God and that I, I need others, and I need those others to be healthy. The other thing that I wanted to talk about getting into this <clears throat> is that one of the early things to do is to uh, separate out your sense of shame and guilt uh, So oftentimes we confuse the two. We think because I've done bad things, uh, I am therefore a bad person. Uh, One of the early writers in our field uh, talked about the fact that the difference between shame and guilt is guilt is uh, the knowledge that I made a mistake. Uh, Shame is the feeling that I am a mistake. So one of the early things to do is just sort out. you You are not defined... By all of the things that, that you have done. Now, you may have made some mistakes, committed some egregious or horrible sins, but that doesn't define who you are as a person. Uh, that certainly uh, can get us to you know, our biblical message that uh, God loves us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, in just a minute, I, I want to get to the Easter message. We're recording this show during during Holy Week. So, obviously, God knew about our powerlessness. God knew about our inability to help ourselves. And God sent his only son so that he would take care of all of those mistakes that we make and that inability we have to ever get it fully right. So let's get back to that in a minute. The main thing, though, that I think in the early days for guys that are struggling with shame is to get in community, get in groups. Now, you know, getting in groups is going to be one of the themes of this show that we are going to beat to death because it is one of the primary ways out of any form of addiction. Uh, I clearly remember the very first night that uh, uh, I was in a community of men, all of whom were struggling with sexual addiction. I had never told my story to anyone before, and I uh, walked into this treatment center, and there was, I don't know, 20, 25 uh, people there, and they had an introductory group, Uh, and what, what they all did, they didn't, they didn't want me to introduce myself, at least not yet. What they all did was they went around the circle and they told a one minute version of their story. And after I'd heard over 20 stories, uh, that were similar to mine, my story seemed less unique. Uh, and already I felt a sense of relief that I wasn't alone in some of the crazy stuff that I was doing
1: You felt empowered to share your personal story
0: I did, and uh, at the end of all of them talking, you know, I was finally asked to uh, tell my own story, which I did And I, I remember as I did that, and strangely enough, uh, contrary to that one core belief you know, As people got to know me, they all uh, smiled, they all nodded and at, at the end of the recitation of this horrendous story of sexual sin, they applauded. They weren't applauding the sin. They were applauding the fact that I was honest enough to be able to tell the story. And being in a group of people like that, that uh, share in our common struggles, it it is incredibly shame-reducing to know that we're not alone and to know that we can be honest about who we are. Remember the core beliefs. If you knew me, you'd hate me and leave me. So you know, if if other people do know us in community and they don't hate us, in fact, they love us, they don't leave us, in fact, they stay with us, that is one of the major antidotes to shame, to be able to tell your story and be understood, be accepted, be embraced, be loved, and be supportive. So let me say in the strongest terms, if you're not in community, you need to be in one and you need to find it. There are other shows that we've done about how to do that. There's writings that we've done about how to find that. The main thing to do if you're locked in a world of shame is to find someone to talk to about that uh, very difficult place you're in.
1: It's great great advice and and I think that uh, our listeners will um, I, I know that there are men out there women out there that are thirsty for that message itself um, as we wrap things up here uh, you wanted to uh, leave the listeners with a, a bit of an Easter message
0: well we're in the middle of Holy Week and you know I, I think most of the listeners uh, I'm assuming by the way, that most of the listeners are also celebrating Holy Week. That may not be true for all listening and and if uh, you're not uh, uh, a Christian or a believer, that's fine. Uh, i uh, I would uh, like all of you to know though that you know as I you know participate in this week, uh, Holy Week uh, just a reminder of what God did, did for us through his son, I think that's a very important part of shame reduction. One of my favorite stories though from the Bible about Jesus, uh, who we remember this week and what he did for us, Uh, the very first time in uh, the Gospels that he reveals the fact that he is in fact the Messiah that the Jews have long been anticipating and expecting is in a rather remarkable story in the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter. And I don't have time this morning to unpack all of this, but in the story of the woman at the well of Samaria, which is in chapter four, and I would invite the listeners uh, to look at it and read it, I just would uh, remind them as they read it that Jesus, you know, in this story, is going to reveal to this woman at the well uh, that he is in fact the one that the Jews have long expected, the Messiah. Uh, he is revealing the fact for the very first time of who he really is, and I think it's in the we need to remember who this woman is. First of all, she's a woman, and in Jewish culture, Jesus was not supposed to be talking to women. You, wouldn't, you didn't talk to your mother, daughter, sister, wife, any woman in public. You didn't do that. She was a Samaritan. Uh, respectable Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Uh, worse than that, I suppose, even was the fact that in Jewish culture, she had been divorced five times. I mean, it was, un, it was unthinkable uh, uh, disgrace to be divorced once. Uh, you you became an outcast. You were shunned if you were divorced. This woman had been divorced five times. Uh, John is painting a picture of ultimate disgrace. Um, she's living with another man. So in Jewish culture, you know that was the height of sexual sin. So let's just put all this together. Who is Jesus revealing for the first time that he is the Messiah? Uh, a, a, a woman, a Samaritan, and 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 a woman living in total abject disgrace. So. I'm speaking right now to the listeners out there who in their core beliefs, in their shame, have said to themselves, I am the worst possible person. I, I am terrible. I have done horrendous things. I have hurt countless numbers of people. I'm, I'm awful. No one, if they knew me, would love me. I'm the only one who will take care of myself. And it seems to me that sex has been the way that I take care of myself. I just want you to hear that the message of the gospel this morning is intended exactly for where you're at. I mean, if Jesus were at some watering hole by where you live you'd be the one that he'd be choosing to talk to so i just want you to think about that in terms of how much god loves all of us god is willing to sacrifice his own son for us and in the face of that biblical truth that that gospel message you know that is where we also start to relieve ourselves of the shame that is so inherently entrenched in so many of us uh, Alcoholics Anonymous calls these core beliefs stinking thinking. You know, we need to be around truth tellers in community so that we can pull ourselves out of this despair. And I would like to encourage the listeners uh, that if you don't have someone to talk to this morning, make a commitment to find somebody safe
1: that you can open up about all of this stuff. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. I'm sure that you enjoyed hearing Dr. Mark Laser as we went back in time to one of our Men of Valor programs uh, way back in the day before we knew what podcasts were really all about. Uh, Mark shared his wisdom about the guilt and shame that's associated with uh, sex addiction, as well as the need for community. If you're uh, a man who is out there, and you're hearing this message, and you have identified the fact that you have a problem with this, uh, with this struggle. We invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find many free resources, um, much uh, relevant information that will help you in your fight uh, against sex addiction as well as the invitation to visit our workshop page where you'll learn about the men's journey workshop Uh, we invite you to take a close look at that because that's going to be the number one recommendation that our counselors would have if you came to faithful and true would be to attend our three-day workshop visit that uh page at faithfulandtrue.com If you're the spouse of a man that struggles with sexual addiction, we also have the Women's Journey workshops. And then we also have a workshop for couples. All that information is available to you at faithfulandtrue.com. You'll also find over 400 podcasts, just like this one, uh, where you can get lots of good direction, recommendations, and support. So until we join you again, We thank you for listening to the Faithful and True podcast. May this coming week be for you, a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.